and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Catherine Salisbury, co-founder and CEO of Capital, an application that helps users save, spend, and invest with their major financial goals in mind. Catherine received her undergraduate degree from the University of Chicago and her law degree from Cornell University. After that, she was an associate at White & Case and VP and counsel at Jefferies Finance. Catherine and her partner co-founded Capital after struggling with their own personal finances. They found that saving money was easier when they had a holistic view of their finances and had a well-defined savings goal with names. Through Capital, they were able to create just that. In today's episode, we discuss Catherine's early career, co-founding not one but two companies with her partner, Catherine's views on the fintech industry overall, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, uh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, Super excited to have you on. Uh, How are you doing and where are you calling in from? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm calling in from Stockholm, Sweden, and thanks for having me on. Very cool. Thank you for joining so late in your day. We appreciate it. For listeners who might not know, could you just describe your career to date and explain a little bit about how you became involved in fintech? Sure. So currently, I am co-founder and co-CEO of Capital. We're an app that helps people save and plan their money, invest their money, and pretty much anything else you should want to do. And before this, uh, it was kind of a strange route. I started majoring in Slavic linguistics in college and became a lawyer, a banking lawyer, worked at Jeffrey's Finance, and then also ran a sports agency. So less yeah. typical route than maybe some of the other co-founders of, of fintechs. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a lot of people on the show, but I haven't quite heard that career path before. So what prompted you to switch um, from that, those prior careers, particularly with the law firm, uh, to working in finance? Sure. So when I left White and Case, one of my former mentors at White and Case had gone to Jeffries uh, and uh, Jeffries Finance. It's a, it was a joint venture between Jeffries and Mass Mutual. And he said, come join. This is fun. And it's just starting. Uh, and it was a great opportunity to get uh, more into the business side of things. Mm-hmm. And um, before we get a little bit more into capital, I would love to hear a little bit about the other company you're running, the uh, Friedman and, Sport- and Salisbury Sports Management uh, Company. Yeah. So when I was at Jeffries, I had a pretty significant injury. I had to take a break from working and I wasn't so good at taking a break. So my significant other at the time, who's now the father of my four kids and co-founder and co-CEO with me at Capital, he was saying, why don't you, why don't we start a sports agency together? Um, He used to play soccer at a pretty high level and had friends that played at an even higher level. And his uncle was chairman of a team here in Stockholm. And uh, it sounded pretty fun. So, so started that. Yeah. What's it like managing? Are you still very active in that other company, in in the the sports management company? And what's it like managing those two responsibilities? Uh, I was doing both for quite a while, uh, but the, uh, but capital really takes up too much time now. Maybe if I didn't also have four kids, but (laughs) I don't do both anymore. But the, the sports agency was really fun. It was also really hard. And, um, you know, involved a tremendous amount of traveling, but it it got me to think outside the box and routinely. But also, it was it's amazing for your negotiation skills to work on something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So let's let's dive deeper into into capital now. And can you talk to me a little bit about the process to start capital? Was there something in your life that prompted that change? Yeah. So George was working at a company here in in the Nordics called Avanza with several of our kind of core team. And think of it as like an E-Trade, I don't know, Schwab sort of company. And they rebuilt the platform into, you know, a more modern one. And then George said, you know, I just love this tech team. 
we should be doing something. And meanwhile, we had been struggling with our own finances. George is Swedish and very economical and, and rational, and I am less so. And I focus much more on time, saving my time than saving my pennies. And he'll save his pennies over saving his time. So I found that I was trying to get more Swedish, more economical. I named my savings goals and um, felt like I was buying a piece of something. Uh, it was using, not using up my units of good behavior for the day. It felt more like a shopping experience at the end of the day when I'd walk home and feel like, oh, what am I going to buy? Is it part of a piano or part of a trip to Kenya? So that was the experience we'd kind of done as personal hacks. And so when George is saying, you know, we're spoiled for talent here in our living room, what should we build? Uh, that was the first first idea. And we wanted to build something for the U.S. market uh, rather than the Nordics. It's just a really, you know, exciting big market with a lot going on. So that was that was the original idea. And people loved it, fortunately. <laughs> just got lucky with that. And then tried to figure out, you know, why was it working? Why was everyone else having a similar experience to me? Just naming your savings goals makes makes that big of a difference. Why? So we started to get really nerdy about behavioral economics and the planning aspect of of finances. And it, it kind of took off from there. I probably leaned towards the side of saving time rather than money until I met my now fiance. Uh, so I can relate to that story a little bit. Um, but I'm impressed that you went from, you know, kind of thinking about it to turning that into a company. So that's very cool. Uh, what's it like founding and running not one, but two companies with, with your husband? We love it. It's nice because you're on the same page. You're shooting in the same direction. You, you really know what you're putting on the line and how much risk you're taking. You both know. And um, your highs are the highs on the same day <laughs> as each other. It was harder when I was doing more of the sports agency and he was doing more of the startup for capital because we were hardly ever on the same page. So this is much easier. How has uh, capital evolved over the past seven years? Uh, maybe we can start from the product side. Like, uh, what did you, How did the company start and what do you offer now? So we had the original product was, what do you want to save for? Put a name to it, put a picture to it, put an amount to it, and think of what you're going to do to get there. Is it every time you walk 10,000 steps, put $10 towards your trip? Now we help you with essentially your whole paycheck. So we can detect your paycheck and we can say, we can invest it for you. We can save for the, the lumpy, bulky things. We can help you keep track of what your weekly discretionary spend is. We can, you know, we have your checking account. We also have dream teams. So George and I found that as our lives got more complex, you know, we have four kids, we have uh, a lot of different bills and buckets and budgets, different bank accounts. I have a Robin Hood, you know, a Schwab, you know, all these sorts of things. It was hard for us to keep track of where everyone's what, what was going on with us, what was on my Amex uh, sort of thing. So now we can just put it all into one capital dashboard. So, or not, I don't have to share everything with him. I can show him my Robinhood balance, but not listen to him tell me more should be on Tesla uh, than I have or something like that if I don't want to share the details. So that's the latest piece that we're excited about is, yes, we can do everything soup to nuts from your paycheck, but now we can do it as a team with the with the transparency or opacity you want and kind of the coordination of how to manage each other's paychecks. Have you seen uh, consumer needs evolve similarly over the over that same time period? I mean, fintech has become a lot more mainstream compared to, uh, say, 2014. I think it's changed a lot. I think when we first started thinking about this in 
almost a decade ago, it was just exciting to not have to go into a bank to do stuff and to not have to call your financial advisor. So I think the point solutions made a lot of sense back then. And then the rebundling has kind of taken off, but I don't know that the rebundling has really done its job yet. So I don't love having tons of different point solutions in my phone. It gives me a lot to manage. And when I run out of time, I realize that maybe I have an auto buy on Bitcoin. I didn't even remember I had (laughs) things like that. So our hypothesis is that there's still a lot, a long way to go before a fintech is doing what it should be doing. We really believe in self-driving money that there should be a couple of years from now. You know, we hope that that our product will just get to know you. We'll we'll know from kind of where I shop and where I live and uh, all sorts of other things, how much I should be saving. It'll just know that I go on a ski trip every year with my family and automatically set it aside. And it'll know how much I'm, you know, I should be spending on car insurance and just help me get there. So I think there's a, a really important next chapter left for fintech. But right now it's certainly a lot better than having to go get tokens and, you know, all sorts of other things. Yeah. The concept of bundling and unbundling has uh, come up a couple of times in my last few episodes uh, with like the question mark is, will, will I have more or less uh, financial services apps on my phone uh, in the next five years? Uh, so it's an, it'll be an interesting one to see play out. Um, what about on the competitive landscape side? I, I imagine you were fairly early to the scene uh, when you first launched, but there's probably a few other competitors that have popped up now. How, how has that evolved uh, since the company uh, was founded? There are a lot of other B2C finance you know, providers of, of various ilks. We are so deep in our roadmap and what we're building and all of that. I, I don't spend a ton of time looking at where everyone else is at. What I have noticed, though, is the B2B explosion over the last 18 to 24 months. You know, we have so many things on our roadmap and we kind of know how much they would cost to build. And then it's at least once a month I find an email in my LinkedIn that's saying, hey, can I bend your ear for half an hour? And when I get on, I'm like, holy smokes, this is going (laughs) to this is great. We can just integrate with you and something on our roadmap is just, you know, massively advanced. So the proliferation of fintechs has had a really good effect for us and that it's spurred this, you know, explosion of B2B providers. And it is a lot of these features are businesses in and of themselves. And so the key is how you wrap them in your own secret sauce. In our case, it has a lot to do with automation and psychology and behavioral change, uh, but also uh, on the way to self-driving money. So it's been great for us that the space is crowded, I guess is the way to say it. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's talk a little bit more about the consumer side of things, like you mentioned. Uh, and I noticed you have a behavioral economist on your team. I'm sure he helps a lot with this uh, next question as well, which is, uh, what common misconceptions have you seen uh, that consumers have about personal wealth management? And does that differ at all between uh, Europe and the U.S.? I think the rate of putting away money is so much more important than exactly what your rate of return is um, or the management fees you spend. You know, we don't have management fees at Capital, but the idea is still there that it's less about how how we're investing it. Most people are doing it in a really similar way and the you know rate of return is not that different. But if we can get people to set aside more each month while they're equally as happy, that behavioral change piece is, is just so important uh, to your financial stability and happiness and success. So those little tweaks, it's it's like with exercise or 
you know, any studying or working, it's those little tweaks add up, you know, those habits. Just working with the uh, behavioral economists that I mentioned, have you been able to kind of automate or embed any of these like consumer behavior tweaks into the platform? One of the big ones is automation. So if you look at, and this gets to your other question about Europe, when you're in a socialist society like like Sweden, it's more paternalistic. And so how you can spend your money and you're kind of forced to set money aside for big concerning things uh, like retirement and your kid's education and childcare and healthcare and things like that because they're socialized. So those are taken care of for you, you know, in a, in a one size fits all way, but really that's happening at the moment of your paycheck. And so that was, that was key to us at the very beginning is if we're going to do it in a different way than how a socialist society does it, you, and you want to do it privately, which, which we're in favor of, then you, you want to help people the moment the paycheck hits their account. That was key to us building out our robo product. Um, it was key to having a checking account. It was key to building out our feature payday divvy. So, I mean, one of the most uh, profound ways you can help people, according to the behavioral economic study and everything else, uh, is, is the second the money hits, move it where it belongs. And I think we all know this, but it's another thing to actually do it. You know, who goes mm-hmm to their account on payday and moves their money. So just the idea of automating these things and, and focusing on the paycheck, um, I would say those are fundamental mm-hmm. pieces we got from the behavioral economics research. Mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, Capital is hiring right now. Uh, are there any roles in particular that you're looking for? Uh, that's a great question. We have too many for me to keep <laughs> on the top of my head, but one of them is chief of staff. I'm looking for a chief of staff and we're looking to beef up our marketing team, our product team, uh, engineering team, data team. Uh, the We call it Nickelby, the self-driving money project. That's a very exciting one. And that team's uh, building right now. Amazing. So yeah, a lot of open roles uh, for people that are listening. So zooming out a little bit, I would just love to hear your thoughts on the fintech industry overall and any particular areas you're excited to see play out over the next uh, three to five years. One aspect of fintech I'm excited to see play out is how it's uh, it, it should change the makeup of who's controlling what. I think it's over 98% of the wealth in the U.S. right now is invested by white men. So as we see more fintechs pop up and different ways to serve different communities and different customers, I think there will be a forced focus on on more diversity of who the financial services are servicing. I think that'll be great. We're really excited about the self-driving money and all of the data and how to leverage that in a healthy, helpful way. Uh, Of course, it can be used in multiple ways, but we'll focus on the helpful ways. And I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens to the legacy incumbents. It's they're powerful, you know, amazing institutions, but the legacy systems are, you know, going to continue to hold them back. So it'll be very interesting to see how they go forward and innovate. Will it be through acquisition or will it be, you know, from the inside out? Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, uh, is there any any sectors that you're a little bit bearish on or that you are, I think might be a little bit crowded or overhyped right now? There's still an underpinning of how do we make money off of people's financial um, kind of precariousness. And uh, maybe that's perhaps been a little over-indexed on. And hopefully there will be, you know, some some other avenues that show up as real leaders. I think they tend to 
to generate a lot of fundraising um, because the financial models tried and true. So hopefully we'll see more companies show up um, being very successful that are maybe a little less predatory. Yeah. Actually, on that note, you mentioned capital doesn't have any management fees, correct? How did you come to that kind of uh, revenue structure? We started as a free app. And when we launched the checking account, which was also free, immediately you have pressure to monetize in a way that banks monetize. And we just felt like all the creativity in the room just disappeared. All the energy was focused on how are we going to get people to swipe their debit card? And I thought that's not why we that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to try and get people to swipe our debit card. We're here to help people be successful at reaching their financial goals. So with a subscription model, our job is to help you reach your financial goals. And if our debit card helps you do that, then, you know, then that'll be great. And if our robo product helps you do that, then that would be great. And so it helps us stay very aligned with the customer. And when you're a pre-profitability company and you're always trying to raise money, I think it it helps have a clean line of alignment between investors, the company, and the customers if we make money by having customers succeed and happy. Yeah, I love the uh, incentive alignment there. That's nice. Catherine, the last thing I wanted to do today was just ask you a few rapid-fire style questions. So hoping to get answers here in like 10 seconds or less. Ready to go? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, maybe that I majored in, I studied several dead Slavic languages. <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 which school were you in when you, were studying, when you studied that? Uh, the University of Chicago. I went there for undergrad. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your first job? I worked at an apple orchard, the one in the Cider House Rules. I grew up in Exeter, New Hampshire, wow. where, where uh, John Irvin grew up and worked at the same uh, apple orchard. That is very cool. Uh, what is your favorite book? Oh, that's a good question. I really do love everything Malcolm Gladwell writes. I don't know if I'd call them my favorite mm-hmm. books. I'm really a fiction person, but if he writes a book, I read it within the first week. Yeah, he was actually on campus uh, at Penn last week giving a uh, talk with uh, one of our professors, Adam Grant. So it's pretty cool oh, to see wow. him. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite vacation destination? Ooh, that's probably somewhere I've never been before. I love going to new places, especially, yeah. um, I love a good city. I'm not really a beach person. Yeah. yeah. Likewise. Most, I mostly also travel to cities. Um, last question for the day, and you can take a little bit longer on this one if you'd like, uh, what does success look like for you and for capital? I love our team and we've been a pretty lean team for a while. So we're at an inflection point where we're really growing the team. And I would love to see that community stay and, and just the the thriving team, a good environment where people can be creative and execute well. So a wonderful culture where we have really loyal, happy customers, you know, that's the goal. And then, of course, I just, I know that there are a lot of front runners out there in the fintech space, but I think that we'll be a late bloomer and catch up to them pretty quickly with our Nickleby project. Very cool. Catherine, I think that's probably a pretty good place for us to wrap it up for today. Appreciate your time a lot. Thank you so much for joining and all the best of luck uh, with the future of capital. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. 
you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.